Good morning. Hey, if you're a guest with us, we're glad that you're here this morning. Uh, if you have a Bible, you can open it to Luke chapter 2. Uh, like Ben said, we are in a series on Advent. We're walking through the different elements of Advent leading up to Christmas. And uh, we're gonna, we started in Luke 2 uh, last week and this week and just looking at those these uh, two weeks. While you're turning there, I want to fill you in on a few different things. Um, one, I hope that you uh, do make time to go to the Spain mission trip meeting. It's taking place right after this service in the student center. Uh, you can learn about the, the work that's going on in Spain in a little bit more detail than even last week, but also uh, if you're interested in the trip, you'll learn all the details about that as well. Um, but you might have noticed when you, when you came in, things were a little bit different. If you're uh, familiar with New Hope, you come in, there's typically a welcome center. It wasn't there. Um, and the reason for that is we wanted a, a very uh, clear way for people that are new to the church to know, where do I go to learn about New Hope? Where do I go to learn about uh, what, what are my next steps here? And so Starting Point was formed in the first lobby when you walk in the doors. And so it's a corner over there. Um, you'll see some walls set up with information about how to learn about the different ministries here at our church, how to get plugged in. Uh, then if you make your way into the, the second lobby here leading into the auditorium, you'll notice there's a wall on the other side of that lobby that's kind of an information wall. And on that wall, uh, you'll find information for serving. You want to get plugged in and serving in a different area in this church or just information about different events that we have going on, uh, things that we want to make sure that you're aware of. You can grab it uh, off of that. And then in place of the Welcome Center, there's actually um, more seating for you to enjoy a cup of coffee, sit down and talk to people, um, and just enjoy um, the environment around here a little bit more. So wanted to keep you aware of that, but as is every week, there's a bulletin that you were handed when you came in or you grabbed on your way in. That's going to give you like the most up-to-date info. What's going on at the church? You can grab one of those. There's a prayer sheet. You can take some of the prayer requests home, uh, pray for uh, certain college students, though uh, they're pretty much done with finals, so don't even worry about them. Uh, and, then, uh, and then you can pray for our missionaries and, and others as well. So you can grab one of those. Uh, just to stay in the loop uh, with all that's going on in the life of the church. Uh, let's pray together, and we will jump into Luke chapter 2. Father, thank you for being so good to us. I'm grateful for this season in the life of our church as we're trying our best to slow down and focus and pay attention. So my prayer this morning is simple. Would you eliminate distractions from this room? Help us to hear what you would have us to hear from your word. And we pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Gary uh, Hogan, he's the uh, president of the International Justice Mission, and he writes uh, about an experience that he had as a young boy that learned a really valuable lesson. His dad took his whole family on this trip, and on the trip, they came to this, um, uh, this day where they were going to go and hike a certain rock formation on Mount Rainier, and he was scared. He was 10 years old. He's like, I'm not going to go on that. And so he decided he was going to stay in uh, the visitor center while the rest of the family went out on this uh, pretty rough hike. And so he does. And he says, I, I stayed in the visitor center. I loved it. There was all this information. There's things. It was cool to see. But eventually it got boring because I'm looking at the same things over and over again. And time was going. And eventually I really began to loathe the visitor center. I didn't like it at all. When all of a sudden my family gets back from this hike and they come in and they're uh, exhausted and they've got cuts on their legs. They're tired. Uh, but they start telling stories, and they start sharing the experience. And he realized really quickly a valuable lesson that he summarizes this way. He says, I went on this trip with my family, but I completely missed out on the adventure. I went on a trip with my family, but I missed out on the entire adventure. It gets me to thinking how many of us have been invited into living a life of joy, a life that's filled with joy, and I would even say biblically, it's fair to say even happiness. Some people separate the two, but I think there's a case to be made. 
The Bible speaks that God has invited us into a life right now because of Jesus that's filled with joy, that's filled with happiness, that should at times even overwhelm us because we have the greatest news that the world has ever known. And many of us aren't experiencing life-giving, life-transforming joy. We're just not experiencing it. Howard Hendricks is a famous professor, and he once said, most Christians' faces would make good book covers for the Book of Lamentations. Right? We're just, we're just like not happy ever. Right? And, and you just take a picture of most Christians, and it's like, that's not what we're talking about with joy. And yet, every year around this time of the year, you start to see the world is eager for joy. We form all of our traditions, all of our events, all the community activity, all around trying to create joy. We spend our money, our resources, our time, everything we can trying to gear up for this joyous day, December the 25th, on our calendar every year. Everything's pointed toward it, only to find out that we're chasing something we can't seem to catch. Because the worst day of the year is the afternoon of December 25th for everybody. Why? Because you realize, one, the credit card bill is going to show up. Uh, it's coming next week. I got one more week until that shows up. But at the same time, I got to wait a whole nother year before the joy starts to build up again in my life because this is what happens every year. We build it up, we build it up, we build it up, and we can't seem to get it. And so we just resolve to start again next year. And the joy just kind of slips. The happiness is not fully there. It's like this thing we're going after we can't quite get our hands on. But I think the Bible is clear. We were created for that joy. We were created to experience happiness and joy in this life. And so consider just for a minute how the Bible builds a case for this. In his book, it's a really wonderful book I'd recommend to you. It's called Happiness by author Randy Alcor. And he studied 2,700 verses on joy and happiness in the Bible. And he said throughout the Bible, the words that the Bible use make a strong case for joy and happiness. They use words like joy, happiness, gladness, merriment, pleasure, celebration, cheer, laughter, delight, jubilation, feasting, exultation, celebration. If you throw in blessed or blessing, which oftentimes uh, connotate joy, then all of a sudden uh, you've got this strong case that God is very clear. I want my people to experience joy and happiness in their lives. He's also very clear that to, to pursue that joy and to attain joy or happiness in your life through any kind of a sinful way is not okay. But the case is very clear in the Bible that if your pursuit of joy is found in who Jesus is, in your relationship with Christ, then that is the kind of joy that God wants you to have. Consider some examples in the Bible. Deuteronomy 33 says this, Happy are you, O Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord. Or 1 Kings 4.20 says, Judah and Israel were as, as many as the sand by the sea. They ate and drank, and they were happy. 1 Kings 10.8 says, Happy are your men. Happy are your servants who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Or my favorite, Isaiah 52.7 says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, of joy. Hear me, please, as, as Christians. I think the church needs to hear this. It's not wrong to be happy. It is not wrong to experience joy in your life. Many of us, though, we think when we come to church, you just can't be happy. you got to be serious. Like, everything is serious in church, and be disciplined, and don't smile in church. Uh, we, need you, we need everybody to know that we raise our family to be serious about Jesus. And everything, is, it's all so serious. There's no happiness and no joy, and the Bible is very clear. You are missing out. You've been invited on a trip. If you're not careful, you're going to miss the adventure. A life of joy. A life filled with a transformative type of joy that will change every part of your life. 
So the question's not, is joy and happiness allowed? The question we need to be asking is, where is it that we should really seek it and find it? C.S. Lewis wrote uh, in his book, The Discarded Image, he references the knight's tale to illustrate how human beings have a, in, embedded in them, created in them, an understanding that God desires for them to experience happiness and joy. And he describes the way that the knight describes hu- the human journey, this, this trip we've been invited on, and he says this. He says, all men know that true good is happiness, and all of them seek it. Everyone is seeking to be happy and joyful, but for the most part, they seek it by wrong paths. They're going after the wrong type of things. Like a drunk man who knows that he has a house, but he can't find his way home. Like, I know it's there, and I know I'm supposed to have this. I have no idea how to get there. He says that's how most human beings are pursuing and going after happiness. You see, the human race is homesick for Eden. And only two humans ever got to experience it. And ever since, we've longed to be back in Eden, to experience joy and happiness. This is Advent. We know that the king came. He was born as a child. It brought great joy for all people. And since we long and we wait for the return of our king who will complete that joy and bring a full, complete feeling of happiness to our lives. Last week, we began to look at the gospel of Luke and the Christmas story and try to peel back a little bit of the layers so the context could speak to us a little bit. And we learned some things about this Christmas story that really will lead us to joy. It was kind of hard, I'm going to be honest with you. As I like to preach, and if you're new around here at New Hope, we'll typically go through books of the Bible. We'll just Like in January, we're going to start in the book of Acts, and we're going to be in the book of Acts for quite a while. So when we get to Advent, and Ben, and we're talking, he's like, hey, I want to preach through Advent. It's a little bit of a challenge to preach through a story that people are so familiar with, they oftentimes turn their mind off. It's like, I already know this. Why am I in church? Let's get to communion and get out of here. And And it's really difficult. So you get to joy, and I'm looking over the text that we had, and I go to read the text, and the first thought that I had was, I don't know how I'm going to get joy out of this. Uh, so this week was kind of a wrestling match with the text, but the, you peel back the layers, and you learn some things, and you see joy kind of jumps off the page. See, in Luke chapter 1, verse 1, Luke tells us he's a medical doctor, and he's seeking to write a really detailed account of the life of Jesus for his friend. His friend's name is Theophilus. So he says, I sought to do all the research. I wanted to do all the investigative journalism I could possibly could. I wanted to interview people, gather all the facts, and put down a really detailed account of the life of Jesus so that you, Theophilus, would have confidence in the things that you've been taught. So you've been taught about Jesus, but I want you to be really confident. So I'm going to do all this research and put together all the facts about the life of Jesus. And so he does. And we learn in Luke chapter 2 that uh, Caesar, the most powerful person in the world, said, hey, I want everybody to go to their hometown so that we can count everybody in a census. I, I want to gather all this information. And so everybody has to go. And Joseph and his fiance Mary, who's pregnant uh, through an angel, which is still probably wigging him out, decide we're going to go to Bethlehem. That's where I'm from. And so they make their way to Bethlehem. When they get there, everybody else from Bethlehem had to come back. So it's packed. And the popular story is they were rejected and rejected, and they found a barn out in a field, and he was born in a barn. Well, that's not necessarily true. If you peel back the layers, you learn that most of the homes in that day would have had two stories. The first story is where the family would have slept, and the bottom floor is where you would have kept your animals. And so they're journeying through, and remember, he's from here. He would have had family here. And sure, they didn't extend hospitality to him, but when they came into the home, they were told, you can sleep with the animals. And we're told that Jesus is then born in a manger. But at the same time, while all this is going on, out in a field taking care of their flock are these shepherds out and just doing their regular job. And we're going to pick up a little bit. We're going to go back just a touch in the last week's text to set the stage for how we'll learn about joy from the life of these shepherds. And so we're going to start in Luke chapter 2, verse 8. 
to pick up some of the context. Here's what Luke writes. He says, in the same region, the same region that all this was taking place with Mary and Joseph, these, there were these shepherds out in the field, and they were keeping watch over their flock at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now, despite the fact that you have read this story hundreds of times, you've seen it in Hallmark cards and all the movies, and it's quoted everywhere from Charlie Brown to to every Hallmark movie they ever make, right? You're so familiar with this text, but just take a second and, and go back into the recess of your mind and imagine hearing this for the very first time. Let this scene sink in just for a minute. These guys are out in the field doing regular, mundane, normal work. Just every day, they're kind of used to this. When all of a sudden, the entire sky lights up. Like, boom, and it lights up to the point that you're not ignoring this. And it says the glory of the Lord shone around them, so they're completely surrounded. right? I'm sure some of them had to change their clothes before they made their way to Bethlehem. They're just completely freaked out by what's going on. And an angel actually starts to talk to them. Now, it's fascinating that Luke would include these details. Because Luke is right away in his detailed investigative reporting. He's letting us know that the gospel message really is for all people. We know that because God chooses these lowly shepherds to be the first evangelists of sorts. The first people to take this message and go corroborate its truth with other testimonies of what had been told to Mary and Joseph and what was going on all around them. He gives them this vision. Now, you got to understand something about these shepherds. They were not a respected group in their culture. In fact, they were kind of untrustworthy. People didn't trust shepherds. They weren't, they weren't making statues out of them and, and putting them in their nativity scenes at this point. Okay? These were not favored people in culture. This was not a job you desired. You were out with the animals. A lot of animals viewed as unclean. They, did not, they didn't respect them. They didn't want to hear from them. These are guys that would have experienced some uh, rejection, probably battled loneliness, probably out in the field working, thinking, why in the world am I still here? What is going on here? And what Luke is doing is he's placing the birth of Jesus right in the midst of the lowliest people in the world. He is saying that right from the beginning, before he was even born, Jesus identified with the rejects. And Jesus came for all people, not just favored people, not just wealthy people, not just people with a good reputation. He came for everyone, and he shows that here. Beside that, think about the shepherds. They're told to go and check on this baby. Where are they going to find the baby? They're going to find the baby lying in a manger. If Jesus had been born in a palace, do you think these shepherds would have been comfortable walking up to the palace? Absolutely not. The details are incredible in the story. As a, as a matter of fact, he says the shepherds are going to go. Go, and you're going to find him, find him wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. Like, oh, mangers? Yeah, we know mangers. We work at them every day as we feed these animals. We're around animals all the time. So this baby that's being born, we have to look for some pretty specific things to identify this baby. And usually babies weren't born in mangers. So this is going to help us really narrow down who this child is supposed to be. And then verse 17. It says, and when they saw this, when, they, when, they, when they'd heard this message, or verse 15, after the angel goes away, when they'd heard this message, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and a baby lying in a manger. So they're told by this angel, I got good news of great joy that's for all people. And they're like, okay, all right. Now picture when, when it's gone. The angels now leave. The angels leave, and you just have to imagine these guys standing around like, 
it's not like a typical Tuesday anymore, is it? Like, this is pretty insane. Did You heard that. You saw, like, where are we going? What, let, we got to go. Like, let's get out of here right now. Change your clothes, but let's go, all right? <laughs> and so they're on their way, and they're going to get to Bethlehem. And they go, it says, with great haste. One thing on their minds. Fascinating, though, because when it comes to this good news of great joy that's for all people, the validity of the testimony of the birth of Jesus was placed upon the most unreliable people in the culture. I mean, you talk about risky. It shows, once again, this gospel message is not a fairy tale. It's actually a matter of history. Because if you and I were to sit down and say, let's write a gospel message, the first person we're going to think to not make everything hinge upon at the very beginning is a shepherd. You understand the culture. If you did a cultural analysis and you determined who's the person we can trust the most with the most valuable news that the world has ever heard, let's pick them. (laughs) Absolutely not. And yet this is the way it starts. It, it starts this way. Verse 17 says, And when they saw this, and they came and they saw everything that they had heard actually came true. And they come upon this scene where uh, the baby's lying in the manger, and they're just completely blown away. They, they're blown away. They go ahead and they make known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. We have to tell you something about your child that was just born. we got to inform you a little bit about something that was just told to us. That's a really key verse. Hold on to that. All who heard wondered. And and were completely amazed by what the shepherds had told them. But Mary, she treasured up all of these things. She pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. Again, verse 17 tells us that they come and testify about this child. How on earth would they know about this child had it not been told to them? Here's Luke's investigative work once again. These guys were completely ignorant to these things. They would not have known to have been looking for Jesus had it not been told to them to go. And so they come on the scene with this information. We've been told this child is born, but he's not just any child. He's a really special child. And so they show up and they talk to Mary and Joseph. And Mary and Joseph hear the news. Hey, we heard that this baby was going to be born. He was going to be wrapped just like you've got him wrapped in lane, just where you're supposed to have him laying. And there he is. But he's not just any baby. This angel told us that this baby that was born is the savior of the world. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. Now I want you to picture when that's declared, what is Mary doing? Blown away. I don't think she's sitting there like, yep, I knew he was too. I think she's probably sitting back thinking, it's true. Everything that the angel told me and everything that the angel told Joseph is true. Why? Because these shepherds who I've never seen in my life, who live in a region that I'm not familiar with. Remember, she had traveled to get to this region. She's never seen these shepherds ever before, but their testimony corroborates with her testimony, and it comes together, and now Luke is sitting there, and he's writing this down. He wrote all these details down so that his friend Theophilus and ultimately us could say, the testimony of these guys, the testimony of these guys comes together. This child really is not any ordinary baby. He is born. He is born a Savior. Now notice how everybody reacts when they come in and they start spitting out all the facts. Hey, you guys got to know this. You got to let us tell you about this. And everybody begins to like be blown away. Why? Because I don't think the shepherds walked into the room and said, I have to tell you something about a little baby that was born. I think that's him. And, and it's good news of great joy for all people. Uh, bye. Like I don't, the way we talk about Jesus sometimes, like, yeah, Jesus, he's the most important thing in my life. Bye. Like the shepherds didn't do that. They came in and they were like, I can't believe it's true. This is incredible. This changes everything. This changes our entire life. Why? Think about these lowly, low-life guys that have been rejected their entire life. And now they're the ones who are told that you're worth coming for, that the Savior of the world has just come to remind you that you're valuable, that you're worthy, that you're loved, that you're cared for. And so now that joy is spilling off of them. 
The people marveled at what they were hearing, not just because of what was being said, but I'm confident because of who was saying it and how they were saying it. Shepherds aren't joyful people. They're the book covers for lamentations. This is not the way that they're supposed to respond, and yet they're just overjoyed. And so the question I'm completely been wrestling with all week is this, is when I encounter people, do they see that joy in my life? The same way, does it, has it changed me the way that it changed those shepherds? And I'm not saying be fake because real joy can't be faked. A lot of Christians try to fake it, right? We do. We try to fake it and we try to make it some sort of thing that we have to accomplish. No, real joy has changed you. It's like, I can't, I can't believe that this is true. And the shepherds come and declare it, and they're completely blown away by it. I was reading this week about a young girl. Uh, she uh, lives in China. She grew up in China. Her name is Christiana uh, Sai, born to a wealthy family in China. And this wealthy family put her in a private school, but what they didn't fully know is that the people teaching in the school were missionaries. And so through all the teaching, they're declaring the gospel. Well, she becomes a Christian, much to the dismay of her family. She encountered the truth that the shepherds encounter, that this child was born is the savior of the world. This child grew up and did for you what you couldn't do for yourself. He died for you. He resurrected from the dead. And now you can wait for his glorious return. And she became a Christian. But her family got so upset because they had really deep Buddhist roots. And so they're angry and they're frustrated. They begin to reject and, and really make fun of her faith. At one point, she writes that even uh, one of her family members took her Bible, ripped it into pieces, and threw the pieces in her face. A couple months later, though, her brother comes to her and says, hey, can you tell me about Jesus? And she's blown away. She says, what? like, why? And he says, because ever since you became a Christian, I've seen a joy in you that I can't understand. You're so joyful. This is what happened with the shepherds. The joy of knowing Jesus. Was, that he's come. You got to know this baby's not just an ordinary baby. But I think there's more going on here. And this is what hit me this week. It just kind of blew me away. Just how incredible this story is from the perspective of these shepherds. Think about it. Rejected. Not trusted in their culture. They had failed numerous times. They're doing work that they don't really, like, it's just mundane. It's like, let's go through the motions. This is really hard, difficult work. So with that in mind, I want you to think about this question. If you had seen a multitude of angels, what would you be talking about when you came into town? If that was you. Because I would have made a few pit stops on the way to the manger. Just letting people know, hey, I just want you to know I'm on my way here, but here's what I'm about to tell these people. I saw it. I'm, you didn't. I know. God chose me. But I need, I need you to know that we, like all, really, fighting for that acceptance they'd never had before, coming into their town, just being like, everybody, listen. This happened to me. And you need to hear, let me tell you about my experience and all the details and how Joe over here wet his pants, but the rest of us, it was just, let me tell you about this awesome, incredible thing that happened to me out in the middle of the field last night. It was a perfect opportunity to really make it about them. It was a perfect opportunity for them to stress the experience and what had happened in their life over the transformative power that that joy, the message of good news had, had been cultivating in their heart. Can I be honest with you? I, I've struggled with that. I've struggled with that throughout my walk with Jesus. Sure, I, I talk about God, but there have been times, even seasons of my life, where I talk about God in a way that it's really about me. It's about what I'm doing for him or what he's done specifically for me that maybe he hasn't done in someone else's life. Wait until you hear what happened to me or look what I've done for God. I can remember all the way back to my freshman year of college just really wanting to impress people. 
So I'd exaggerate stories and try to make it where, man, I need that acceptance. And so I'm putting all my energy and all, because I thought, man, if I, if they, if this certain, if, and you don't say it out loud, but you're just kind of operating in this realm, like, hey, if these people will accept me, or if I can feel approval, or if I can feel like I've done something with my life, then I'm going to experience this joy. And I put all my energy into it. Maybe you've learned what I've learned in my life. And it's this, that's exhausting. It's exhausting to chase after that with everything that you got only to come up empty and realize that's no joy at all. That's no real joy at all. But then I look at these shepherds and I think I really love their demeanor. They get this incredible experience that would have just rocked anybody's world. You could have put that on any stage anywhere and everybody would go, wow, look at these guys. But no, they just kind of quietly walk into town. They walk fast. They're not stopping to make much of themselves. They get to them and they say, hey, we had this incredible experience, but that's not what we're, we're here to tell you. Let me tell you what the angel said. Not how the, the sky lit up. Not how the glory shone around us. Not how we were chosen in the middle of the field. We just want to tell you what he said because what he said, it's the message that changes everything. I mean, think about it. If the angel had appeared to them and said, to these shepherds and said, hey, we bring you good news of great joy that's for all people. A baby was born. And then left. They'd have been like, baby's born. That happens like all the time. Like, who cares? No, they said a baby's born. And here's who the baby is. He's the savior of the world. He's come to change all of human history forever. And here's a sign for you to know who that baby is. And when you find him, you're going to know that the God of the universe has been born as a human being and he's come to take care of the sin problem you couldn't take care of yourself. See, their joy wasn't found in just the baby. It's in who the baby was. That changed everything in their life. That created a joy that just kept spilling over inside of them. And I think I want that kind of demeanor, the demeanor that says my experience is, that's fine, like, whatever. It's really about this message of joy, this, this message, this truth that is good news of great joy for all people. And so the question to wrestle with about joy at Christmas time is this, how, as we wait for the coming of our king, and we know he's coming back because he came for us the first time, we know he's coming. As we sit in this period of great anticipation, how has this message of good news that's great joy for all people changed you? I mean, really changed you. Christians carry with them the greatest news this world has ever known, and the world needs to know that we're happy about it, that we're joyful because our sins are no longer counted against us. And that this message really is for all people, even the shepherds, the rejects, the failures, the cheaters, the liars, the lowlifes, the people who mess up their life over and over again, can't seem to get ahead, can't seem to win. Those who are accomplished and unaccomplished, the rich, the poor, all people. This good news is for everybody. And it's so incredible that he came for us. He provides every single human being value and worth. Because on Christmas... God said, no matter where you're at, you were worth coming for. At Christmas, God said, I'm coming for you. And you're worth it. You're worth me coming for. And if that doesn't create joy inside your heart, I don't know what will. This good news of great joy that is for all people can, if you'll let it, lead us at the end of our life to look back and say, I got invited on a journey with Jesus. And I didn't miss out on the adventure. Let's pray.